Hey everybody, this is Tommy Miller. I'm the senior pastor at Legacy Church. We're really excited that you decided to join our podcast this morning. Our intention is to give you the information and the resources that you need to bring heaven to earth by walking in the fullness of your identity and your destiny. Enjoy the sermon, enjoy your day, be blessed, and do what Jesus did. church gets a little bit of flack. <laughs> a little bit of flack. I think we bring a different revelation. It's not heresy, like what the, 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 the repeated process is people come in, they're like, what? Did it really say that? And then they go check me in their Bible and it really says that. So before you get mad and leave, just check your Bible first. Okay. Um, one of the things that we've been talking about the last three weeks is the forgiveness of sins, because we're talking about finding grace. Right. And if we reduce the forgiveness of sins to forgetting about the dirty things that you did, then we really miss the boat on what God actually intended to do by sending his son. And one of the things that I do, and I'm, I'm just going to tell you about this so you have a little bit more faith in the guy you're hearing, is when I preach a message... I refuse to be the young guy with a new idea that flippantly just spits things out across the pulpit. Because biblically, you're required to have three witnesses before something is true. So a lot of what we're preaching in the Western church does not have prophetic origin. What I mean by that is the book of Deuteronomy says that God does nothing in the earth without revealing it to the heart of one of his prophets first. So if none of the prophets talked about it, it's not good theology, right? If none of the prophets talked about it, it's not good theology. So none of the prophets said, behold, there will be a day when you convince somebody to repeat a prayer so they don't have to go to hell when they die. None of the prophets said that. None of the prophets said, behold, there will come a day when you drag somebody into a church service, beat them up over what they've done bad, scare the hell out of them, and hope to God that they join your club. Prophets never said that. The prophets did say that, behold, there will come a day that all of the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our God. And the sons of God will have dominion over absolutely everything. The Psalms say that the heavens, yes, even the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given into the hands of men. So there's, there's a, a responsible approach to the biblical narrative that you and I have to take. We have to see it first in scripture. Second, it has to have prophetic foundation. Third, it has to be found in the life of Jesus. And a lot of the things that we do in the New Testament, we can't find in the life of Jesus, right? One of those things is how we see the forgiveness of sin. And I'm going to break this down for you and, and make it really palatable and super easy. But I want it to be practical, so I'm going to give you an illustration. Right? So the, the, the common approach to the forgiveness of sin in the Western church is you bring somebody to, to church. As a matter of fact, I'm not trying to out anybody. Please, I know there's a guy that's very famous for doing this. But we talk about how bad sin is, and then somebody's like, oh man, I've done that. And we're like, yes, they're going to feel like trash. Now I can get them to repeat that prayer, right? It's like, you ever stole anything? Well, that makes you a thief. Do you know where thieves go? Thieves go to hell. You're going to go to hell if you don't repeat the prayer that I have and join the club that I'm in. Right? Like, they had the... I'm going to talk about it. No, we got too many people watching for me to get in trouble like that. I'm not going to do it. I'll talk about the concept, I just won't name the people. But that's not the way of the master. Oh, you know, don't you? Yeah, it's not the way of the master. What he did is this weird stuff where he'd find somebody that just got caught with their pants down. He's like, your sins are forgiven. I'm like, wait, what? Did she even feel bad? Not that I know of. Did she stop acting bad after that? It's not really recorded. Did she ask Jesus for forgiveness? Nope. Nope. Jesus came into the world to forgive sins. And if we reduce that, Justin, will you come here for a minute? Come on up here. This is Justin Meese. Stay away from his right hand. He knocks people out with it. Professionally, not because he's a, like a bar brawler or anything. It's just what he does. When's your next fight? 
Okay, he's still training. All right, so imagine Justin is my son. And Justin has lived a life of what the, the church would call sin. And I, as his father, want to solve his problem. So we have a conversation. He's like, Dad, sorry. I'm like, it's okay, bro. Let's act like it never happened. Okay, and like we get, we get teary-eyed about that. Like we sing songs about it. I'm justified, never sin. You know? Let's just act like it never happened. So we're like, okay. And then he's always wondering if I'm going to bring that back up to make him pay for it because technically it did happen. I'm just not angry about it anymore. Right? But if you look at the text, the Bible says that when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, it means something completely different. The word sin was the Greek word hey martia, which was a compound word that came from two Greek words that meant without or distorted form. Okay? So now we're not talking about his behavior anymore. We're talking about his nature. We're talking about his identity. It's, it's his unintended reality that was never created from before the foundation of the earth. It's what happened because of the Adamic nature in the world. So the difference between a father saying, let's, let's just kind of act like it never happened and walk together is different than this. Okay? So the forgiveness of sin, forgiveness means away from who I am. It doesn't mean that I forgot about what you did. It means that I took away what you did. It's not just lingering and I'm not mad about it anymore. It literally does not exist. When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to the Jordan, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He didn't say forgiveness. He did forgive sins, but he forgave it in the Hebrew culture, in the Greek understanding of forgiveness, which is literally like Justin's wearing this shirt, I take it off of him and I throw it away. But it's not about his dirty deeds either. It's about the identity that was formed through poor understanding, through a fallen mind and bad experiences. So the forgiveness of sins is to remove your distorted form from who you are. Does that make sense? So the things that you did weren't the problem. They were the result of your distorted form. If you don't know that you have dominion, if you don't know that you're blameless, perfect, spotless, and loved, then you will do things to try to fill the gap that came from your distorted form. And most of them cause you to be hard, bitter, and, and act poorly. Right? So we need to understand the forgiveness of sins because if we reduce it to the way the Western church understands it, then he goes without receiving a lot of things that Jesus paid for him to have. Okay, if he just is no longer guilty of doing bad things, but everything he was never supposed to be is taken away from his identity, isn't the result much different? Right? You know, some churches believe in forgiveness, but they don't believe in healing. Forgiveness is healing. Because his distorted form was never sick. It was a one-time deal, right? It's not like, ooh, Jesus set up this buffet and I can take forgiveness and I can take healing and I can take prophetic history over my life. No, you were forgiven. It was taken away from who you are. Everything you were never meant to be is no longer part of your history or your future. You guys aren't as excited about this as I am. <laughs> I'll forgive you. Okay, I'm not asking you to lose your Western understanding of forgiveness because you need to forgive people. What I am asking you to understand is what happened to you. Everything that caused you to sleep around, everything that caused you to put a needle in your arm, everything that caused you to be a bad husband and a bad wife, everything that caused you to be addicted to the screens on your computer, it's been taken away from who you are. Your relationship with God will change drastically when you don't, just don't think dad's got this pocket full of sin that at any moment he could beat you for. But you understand that he literally sees you as he created you. And everything that was contrary to the heavenly blueprint of your life, he has taken away. Does that make sense? Is that better news? You can have a seat, bro. Thank you. So that's what fathers do for their sons. They forgive their sins. Their distorted form is taken away from them. Now you're like, well, that seems like a new concept. It is the oldest concept in the book. 
Literally, that's why I started in Genesis 1.1. It is the oldest concept in the book. The reason that Jesus came was to bring heaven to earth. And you were not just born out of your mother's womb into the Adamic nature. You were fashioned in Christ before the foundation of the world. So Jesus is very familiar with your intended form. And when he came, he came to pull the distorted form away from you so the heavenly son can manifest and bring heaven to earth. Because once the son manifests, they take away distorted forms. You want to see? Watch this. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was... Does that sound familiar? The word ha has two definitions, without and distorted. In either case, it wasn't what it was meant to be in heaven. You guys following me through this? This is where it gets a little... You have to be spiritually minded to follow spiritual revelation. Okay? So God's intention. There's a really good... Like, you know how new believer material that you buy is usually terrible? Like, discipleship packets are the absolute worst. There's a book called What Did God Want? by Dr. Michael Heiser. And it's a new believer's manual, and it's so good. Because if most of the Western church read it, it would be the deepest thing that they've ever read. God wanted to manifest heaven in a visible reality. That was his intention. So when he created the heavens and the earth, and it was without form, it was because his intention was to reach into the nature of his son and speak his son into existence so you could see it. I'll show you that in a minute. John 1 says nothing was created that wasn't created through him. Right? So the entire kingdom and all of creation existed in Christ before it became manifest visibly. So you have this creation that isn't on earth as it is in heaven. How do we know what heaven was like? Well, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 26, they talk about the garden of God. Eden existed in the invisible realm before it existed here. And God created, I know this is kind of straight, strange, but an imperfect creation with the intention that perfect humans would continue his perfect work. So the earth was void and without form. It was not on earth as it is in heaven. And then God spoke. And what did he do? He took away its distorted form. He made it on earth as it is in heaven. You following me? So there's just this radical understanding of what God has been doing the entire time. And then all of a sudden, some religious minds want to control you, so they convince you that you're bad and make you work to become good, and they ensure that you won't make it to heaven without their help, so you keep paying tithes. And tithes and church attendance become the crux of your Christian obedience, rather than manifesting sonship and dominating the world. Yep. You don't come to church to check something off your spiritual list. You come here because your family's here. And the, the responsibility of this house is to equip saints for the work of ministry. Not to make you, like, it's not even to get you saved. It's to manifest sons. If we, if we just want to make this all linear, it's to speak the word of God so that what's on earth is just like what's in heaven. I'm just trying to make you like that. I'm trying to take away your distorted form. That's it, right? <clears throat> It's that good. All right. So check this out. There's this, there's this parallel between Genesis 1 and John 1. It's so strange. The word beginning, by the way, is not a time word. The word beginning actually meant in the model, in the first fruits, in the original idea. So it is a time word, don't get me wrong, but his, what he was saying is this is how God had it planned. So... If God is declaring the end from the beginning, we have to look at the beginning to determine what he's trying to do now. Was he trying to take Adam and Eve to heaven? Yeah. 
Nope. He was trying to get heaven to manifest through Adam and Eve. So that's what he's trying to do now. Was he trying to get Adam and Eve to behave? No. Or he'd have given them a law. The only law that they broke was don't live by the law. Once you do it once, put yourself under the whole thing. So Genesis 1, we see God's original model. Anything that is on earth that is not how it is in heaven, you bring the word and take away its distorted form. So he made Adam and Eve in his own image so that they could continue to govern the extension of Eden. Their intention was to take Eden and extend it all over God's visible creation. But they were convinced out of their identity and dominion by the serpent. They now, instead of taking away distorted forms, had become a distorted form and lost their dominion. Now they need someone who is on earth as they are in heaven to come take away their distorted form so they can take away distorted forms. But there's an issue. The issue is everything that was born of man naturally is infused with Adamic distorted nature. So we have to come up with some kind of supernatural intervention that would allow a man again to have God as his literal biological father. Whatever shall we do? Why don't we impregnate a virgin? We have an undistorted human being stepping on the seed to solve everybody's problems. Let's see what that looks like. John chapter 1. You guys with me? Is it good? Dun, dun, dun. This Bible is unreal. You would think like people haven't read it for the last 200 years by what churches are puking across their pulpits right now. John chapter 1, this is going to just ring your bell. John chapter 1, ready? In the beginning. Sound familiar? Was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. Light shines in the dark place. And darkness did not comprehend it. Sound familiar? We have the same thing happen. We have, we have darkness. Distorted form. And then we need the Word to come heal it. In Genesis, the, wor the world, all of creation, was without form and void, and he needed the word to come make it on earth as it in heaven. Now, we don't have an issue with creation, we have an issue with humanity. So he doesn't just need to send a non-material word, he needs to send a human that is non-distorted to bring the original intention back to human hum humanity, yeah? You with me? So in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, and God sent his word again to fix the distorted form. That's what he does. That's how he does it. Does it make sense? He said, without him, nothing was made that was made. Do you know what that means? If you can see it, it came from the nature of God. And everything that God made was intended to be self-sustaining and perfect and never die. What do you think the beginning looked like when he said oak tree be? He recorded the word of God. He reached into Jesus and he took heaven's reality, put it in the seed. And then that seed would produce itself within itself so that there would be an eternal repeating process of life. Yep. And he put Adam and Eve in a garden and he said, there's a bunch of trees here, bro. It's only one of them that'll cause you problems. Eat anything you want. And then they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they weren't punished initially for eating of the tree. The tree brought with it its own punishment. It's that it opened their eyes to right and wrong and they started to self-judge and they started to be condemned and they started to judge one another. They looked a whole lot like the church does now. And, the, and God, in an act of mercy, kicked them out of the garden. He said, we can't have you here because if you stay here like this, you could eat of the tree of life and live forever. And you don't want to live forever condemned. Yeah, he loves us. Like, it's radically ridiculous.
So he kicks them out of the garden. And he allows them to die. He allows them to die for one reason. So that Jesus can die 4,000 years later and put an end to death. Because if he doesn't allow death to happen, death can't become part of the fallen model. And then there can be no sacrifice for sins because they have to shed blood. Something has to die in humanity's place. So I'll tell you this. You can let it blow your mind and then I won't say anything else about it till a later time when I preach on the whole thing. Death was created to spill the blood of a better covenant. After that, it's pointless. Right? Okay. So, our understanding of the forgiveness of sins. has to be upgraded so that our experience can be upgraded because your experience will be framed by the parameters of your paradigm you freely give away whatever salvation you freely received and if that's the forgiveness of sins, as is understood in Western culture, like you just no longer are guilty for doing dirty things, then that's all you'll give people. That's the salvation that you bring them into. Like, God doesn't remember my dirty deeds anymore, so now he won't remember your dirty deeds. But what if they got to see Chris Brammer walking in an undistorted form? No longer subject to frustration, no longer subject to depression, anxiety, and illness. But rather than being affected by the distorted form, he takes away the distorted form of creation. Every garden he plants grows. Every business he starts thrives. Every sick person he lays hands on gets healed. And every day of his life is filled with life and life abundant. How many of you would much rather give away that salvation? You see, this, <clears throat> you see this strange conundrum in Jesus' life where he allows people's paradigm to frame their experience. And that's why getting the paradigm right is so unbelievably important. Because somebody runs up to Jesus and they said, Jesus, my brother's dead. If you would have been there, he would have never been sick. And I need you to come see him so that he gets better. What's Jesus do? He goes and sees him. He lifts Lazarus out of the grave, right? Because Mary had a paradigm and her experience was framed up by it. Then he meets a centurion with a sick son. And he had just hung out with Mary. So he's like, hey, my son's sick. And he's like, okay, I'm coming to your house. He's like, don't worry about it. Just say the word. And my son will be healed when you speak. She's like, okay. His experience was framed up by his paradigm. Mary's experience was different than the centurion's experience because Mary thought Jesus had to come visit. The centurion thought Jesus just had to speak. Right? Then Jesus comes to a house and literally lays on one of the children. I don't know who asked him to do that, but it is what it is. But then in the New Testament, as early as the beginning of the book of Acts, we see Peter walking down the road and what he's carrying heals people without them asking, without him acknowledging it. Why do you think that happened? Because his experience was framed up by the paradigm that he had. You see those first two people get healed and then you see a woman press through a crowd. Now here's, here's, here's a great example. There are possibly thousands of people bumping into Jesus and nothing supernatural happens. This woman with the issue of blood busts through the crowd, touches the hem of his garment. And Jesus isn't even aware that she was coming. As a matter of fact, he said, who touched me? I felt virtue leave from me. Then he looks at her and he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Her paradigm framed up her experience. 
So why am I saying all that? It's kind of lengthy. I'm saying that to say this, because if you don't understand that everything you were never meant to be was taken away from you by the one who came and loved you, then you will just be an acquitted sinner. You'll be like the guy that killed somebody that just didn't have to go to jail for it. Your conscience isn't cleansed. You don't feel new. You don't feel innocent. And you certainly don't walk in Christ-likeness. It's good, right? Yeah. <clears throat> That's good. Okay, go to Hebrews 10. Ready, cat? I'm not talking about that today, but I want to show you something. Hebrews 10.1 says, For the law had a shadow of the good things to come, but they weren't the very image of the things. And they could never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshippers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Okay? Do you remember that consistency in, in theological understanding that you have to have for something to be true? Don't know how we just skipped over this, but Paul's saying the law didn't do it. Because if the law was sufficient, you would know nothing about your distorted form. If you reduce forgiveness to a get-out-of-jail-free program, you'll just think that you avoided punishment, but you still did those acts. Paul says that once Jesus was offered a sufficient sacrifice, that you don't even have consciousness of your distorted form. The blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away sins, but Jesus offered himself once and for all. Once and for who? Once and for the church? Once and for the good folk? Behold the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the church? Whole, the whole world. Listen, that's not even just including people. He came to restore creation to its heavenly blueprint. And the only way to come to restore creation to its heavenly blueprint is to restore the ones that were supposed to govern it to theirs first. So the paradigm that you embrace has to be one of complete and total forgiveness. Who I was was taken away from me. Who he is is now who I am in this world. Or the paradigm fails. Right? <coughs> it's impossible. Man. <clears throat> These bulls and goats were offered so that they were no longer guilty of what they did that year. You understand that, right? That is not why Jesus would offer, was offered. Jesus was offered to take away the sin of the world. It's impossible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away the sin of the world. But when a sufficient sacrifice is offered, the worshipers have no more consciousness of sin. Do you get it? Who you were is no longer a part of your psyche. It's not a part of your memory. Like, I'm almost scared to share testimonies. I'm not there yet. I think it's good to show what, what you brought God out of, but what you brought God out of. Yeah. We're so good at this that we helped the big man out. Yeah. <clears throat> what God brought you out of, I completely get that. I'm still for it. You'll, you'll, you'll still hear some of them. But the worshippers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. Is that different than the sin conscious message that you hear every week? Much different. Now, I want to show you something amazing. Go to Luke 5. I'm almost done. I'm bringing this up so you start to see everything that Jesus did differently. 
not only will your experience be framed up by your paradigm, so will your interpretation of the word. You know that? You won't see the word for what it is unless you see him for who he is. You can interpret nearly any good news in this word through a legalistic lens and make it condemning. You have to see it through the heart of the Father. I got a, a message from somebody in, in southern Ohio this week that's been listening to our series, and I hope they're listening now because we'd really like to see them in our academy. Um, they said that was the first time I've ever heard the grace message through the lens of the heart of the Father rather than the sinfulness of humanity. Even the grace message can be reduced to you're a terrible human, but God doesn't care. That's gross. Okay, check this out. You ready? <clears throat> Luke five seventeen. Now, there's a very specific reason I'm showing you this. And I will slowly unpack it as we go, but I just want you to see something. Okay, I'm more excited than you are because I know what I'm going to say. Now it happened on a certain day that he was teaching. That there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought a bed, brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down, and they put his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. While he was there, wait, when he saw their faith, he said to them, man, your sins are forgiven you. Dwell on it for a minute. What just happened to this guy? First, let's ask some questions. Did he ask for it? No. Did he repeat a prayer? No. Did God say, well, looks like you're a sinner. That's why you're sick. You need forgiveness. No. Jesus did what Jesus does. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And do you know that your responsibility as an apostolic people is the same? If you look up the apostolic commission in your Bible, it says anyone sins that you forgive. I forgive. Your responsibility is to deliver humanity from their distorted form. They don't have to ask you. <laughs> Think of this. Moses took three million people out of Egypt that didn't want to leave. You understand what I'm saying? That's a much different paradigm. This city will look like heaven because there's sons of God in it. Not because they turn from their wicked ways. Jesus was trying to get us to understand the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He said the kingdom of God is not like the Old Testament. The kingdom of God is like leaven. He said all I have to do is sprinkle just a little bit and the entire thing will be kingdom before you know it. Isn't it good? Okay. Okay, so this guy drops down through the roof of the house. Pretty extreme, right? Doesn't ask for forgiveness, isn't concerned with his eternal condition. But Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. And if we understand the context, he's not saying, I forget all the bad things you did. He's saying everything that you were never created to be is no longer part of your DNA. Church, <clears throat> what might that include? Hey, Shanda. Yeah. Hand me that water right beside my bag. Sorry, guys. <coughs> Got a dry spot. <coughs> Got me good. And I always get the mute button con confused with the on-off button, so I just don't try. Okay. So, most of the time when you read this, you think that Jesus performed two miracles in this house. He didn't. He only performed one. Even in your Bible, it says Jesus heals 
and forgives a paralytic. But that's not what he was trying to do. He only did one thing. He forgave the sins of that man. He took away everything he was never meant to be, including sick. Follow me? Healing isn't separate from the atonement. It's in it. Yep. You can't buffet pick forgiveness. Like, I don't want to be guilty anymore, but the healing thing's just a little strange. It's all in the same book. It's on the same page. It's found in the same word, and it was found in the same action on Calvary. So check this out. All right. When he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier? Can I paraphrase? Tell me what's easier, to say he's forgiven or to show you. That's what he's saying. He's not saying what's easier, forgiveness or healing. Because most of us would say forgiveness because you don't need evidence. He's saying, okay, I get it. You want some proof. I just took away everything this, this man was never meant to be. Get up and walk. That's what he's saying. He's like, what's easier for me to confess that I'm the son of God and I can forgive sins or to show you that this man now is everything that he was meant to be in heaven, which does not include paralysis. what's easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk but man how do we miss this but that you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins what is he proving by him walking not that he can heal that he can take it away one full swoop Everything you were never meant to be is gone. (laughs) He said to the man that was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, (laughs) and were filled with fear, saying, we've seen some strange things today. (laughs) That's literally what it says in the New King James Version. We've seen... (laughs) How is church? Well... We need a new roof. (laughs) Listen, why, why does this need... Why is this so relevant? Because so many people believe that the dirty things that they did are no longer in God's mind, but they're still resting in depression, anxiety, and sickness, and death, and all of the other things that were ripped away from you when you became new. Yep, you don't have to pick. As a matter of fact, it's dangerous to start compartmentalizing the things that Jesus offered in his atonement because you start making doctrines out of things that was a person. Okay, do you understand that? Doctrine is anti-person. There's a reason that John said, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God and everything that he made was taken out of him. You were made out of the material of Jesus and he's not sick. He's not addicted. He's not depressed. And he came into the darkness and the darkness couldn't do anything about it. The distorted form was taken away. (coughs) This might be the best message I've ever heard. A little bit of sin right here. I got some sin stuck in my throat. All right, Romans 6. This is the last place I'm going to go. I know it's a lot of scripture, but man, once you apply a different paradigm to this interpretation, everything changes. Romans 6, verse 2. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin? 
live in it any longer? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Okay, let me... Let me is this passage <clears throat> about water baptism? No. Why do we use it for water baptism? Because water baptism is the vi visible demonstration of what happens here. Okay? So they coincide most certainly. But here's the danger. A regenerative baptism doctrine makes baptism a savior. And it's not. Okay? Most churches teach a regenerative baptism doctrine. That means that you are a slave to sin until you get in that water. And your identification, <clears throat> better yet, your participation with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is what took away your distorted form. That did not happen in the waters of baptism. That literally happened 2,000 years ago. And the moment you believe in it, you get to start expressing it. And then water baptism is the declaration. Just like Abraham's circumcision. He was righteous before it happened. He got it because he was already righteous. Not because it made him righteous. So your baptism does not deliver you from the power of sin. Jesus did that 2,000 years ago. This is the expression that you're no longer alive to your distorted form. Right? So Paul understands this. He uses this language over and over in his letters. And he looks at the Romans and he's like, why are you still living a life that is below the manifestation of the sons of God? Then he comes to the conclusion, wait a minute. You didn't know that your distorted form was taken away. Did you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, as many of us as have, as have participated in His death, burial, and resurrection are completely deceased from who we used to be? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we too should also walk in the newness of life. <clears throat> For we have, if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be united in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him. What was our old man? Distorted form. It's dead. That the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from your distorted form. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives for God. You understand like... <clears throat> The, uh, the what would Jesus do movement was probably an injury to the Bible, or excuse me, to the body. Because they read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then they tried to do what he did in those books. And that's not who the Bible has made you. It has made you as the resurrected Christ. You understand that? It says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. Do you understand what that means? Come on, like the spirit that raised Christ from the dead is not afraid of depression or anxiety or addiction or illness. And I really want you to understand this, okay? <clears throat> the spirit that raised Christ from the dead was Christ's spirit. And the Bible says that when you believe in Christ, you become one spirit with the Lord, right? So when Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me, I lay it down and I pick it back up. Do you know what he was saying? I'm going to go in that grave to fulfill some prophecy, but I promise you suckers I'm coming back. Is that not the truth? So what he did is he came to infuse us with that divinity and 
and, and destroy anything that was distorted about that identity. And then everything, including death, became an enemy under the feet of the body so that the one who is the head can fulfill all in all. That's what it says in Colossians 2. You aren't just not a bad boy anymore. You're everything he is and nothing that he's not. Because everything you were has been taken away and everything he is has been freely given to you. And that's the salvation that you can give away. Yep. <clears throat> now, we, we saw COVID healed this week. What else did we see healed this week? Miss Laura, you had a good report, right? It was... Uh, it was a positive test for a kidney thing? Polycystic kidney disease. And you don't now. And she doesn't now. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot like that, dear, but thank you. Okay, here's what, here's what needs to happen today. Our, our uh, philosophies on salvation and healing need to merge, and we need to understand that they're the same thing. Our, our understanding of forgiveness and healing need to merge, and we need to understand they're the same thing. Because everything that, that was formerly not on earth as it is in heaven was taken away from you 2,000 years ago when you, when you participated in his death. The Bible says that as in Adam all die, in Christ all are made alive. So it was the obedient act of one man that set you free from who you were. But understanding that allows your experience to change according to the paradigm that you carry. So once, once you put faith in Christ, you don't need to come ask for, for, for healing all the time. You probably need to ask that God changes your paradigm so you understand that this isn't part of the heavenly model and it's not your portion. It's not what you were promised. And God certainly didn't give it to you to teach you a lesson. You don't have to teach lessons to non-distorted creations. Stand with me, would you? <clears throat> what do you think? How good? Go ahead, tell me. You ever seen that meme of the guy that's like, that's a gif, right? I use it all the time. That was me yesterday at my desk when all of this just blew up into my sermon notes. It was so good. Tell me what's easier, to say that you're forgiven or to show you? Jesus is like, but just so you know that Jesus was sufficient to take away sins, your sickness is gone too. How many of you came in with something tangible, like that you can feel is, is in pain, that, uh, that isn't there anymore because of the revelation you just received? If you walked in with pain, test it. And if it's gone, put your hand in the air. One, two, three, four. Who else walked in with tangible, real, legitimate pain? because now you understand that, that pain and sickness just isn't part of your nature, it went away. Five? Am I on the right count? I'm terrible at counting. Did I say five twice or just once? Okay, that's five. Who else? Six? Who else? There's one more. I know it. Check it again. It's gone. If you're the seventh, throw your hand in the air. All right, you'll get it. It's okay. Healing is not in your future. Hey, there we go. There's seven. I didn't make that up either. Wave your hand in the air.
healing is part of your identity. That's why Jesus said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, preach the kingdom. Why? Because freely you've received. It's part of your nature. Now give it away. Freely you received, so freely give. It's good. Seven people got healed this morning. Am I the only one that think that's cool? Give the Lord a shout. Anybody here this morning that's never put faith in Christ? We're not trying to save you from hell. We're trying to give you the identity that God created for you to have before the foundation of the world. And for you to live out the destiny that he intended for you to live out. He's not absent-minded towards you. He, he wants you to build a universe with him. He doesn't just want you to forget the dirty things that you did. He wants you to know exactly who you are. And he wants you to take your place among sons and daughters that participate in doing exactly what he wants done on the earth. Anybody that's never put that faith in Christ, would you put your hand up with us this morning? We'll pray for you. You don't have to fill out a card or take a new book or unless you want the Michael Heiser book that I talked about earlier is a good one. I'll just give it to you though. It's not homework. All right, praise God. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Father, this word that we received is life and life abundant. So we just ask right now that everything that, that came from this word be sealed into us in the depths of our identity. So that as we walk out of here, we didn't just receive some new knowledge. We received a new D DNA, a new nature. Everything that was formerly distorted about our intended destiny and identity has been taken away from us. And the only thing that remains is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So, Father, we ask that you just make this our reality. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a shout this morning. Thank you guys so much for being here. We love you all very much. And you guys are going to have an amazing week. And everybody that comes in contact with you is going to have an amazing week. <laughs>